Well, good morning. Welcome to Northland. Thank you for bringing the church into this room and to all the rooms where we're gathered. Uh, it's a great gift for us to be uh, connected together. We're here for a purpose, and that's to worship God for who he is and what he has done. So whether you're here at Longwood or joining online, uh, thank you for connecting the body of Christ together. If you're new here or maybe it's your first time in a long time, welcome back. Uh, we would love to tell you about what's going on. God has given this, this church, this group of people called Northland, uh, a little piece of vision for his kingdom, which is to engage people to be fully alive in Jesus, which means relationships are so important. God is relationship. He calls us into relationship. We need you, your expertise, uh, your, your story, your life, your relationships. God has put you here for a purpose, so thank you for coming. Uh, would love to answer any questions that you might have. I'll be around afterwards in the foyer. There's also uh, leadership around the room and in the foyer. They'll be wearing orange lanyards. Depending on if you're a Tennessee fan or a Gator fan, you can kind of pick which color orange that is, but they would love to connect uh, with you and answer any questions that you might have. Those of you joining online, welcome to you. We have some home churches joining us from DeLand, also uh, San Luis in Colorado. Welcome to you. Uh, also want uh, to say hello to the Watercrest uh, group that's out there in Lake Nona, the Upper Room Access Ministries, uh, Wayman Place Senior Living, love that we're connected with you guys, as well as uh, the Seminole County Correctional Facility and the Lowell Correctional Institute. You are a part of our family. Yes, this is a big cheer for you all. In fact, in between services, um, I got to meet a young lady uh, who had just been released uh, from jail on Friday, and she was here for the first time. It was awesome to get to meet her, and uh, that's a picture of the church. She said, I feel right at home because I've been connected online. So it's so great to have you all be a part of our family. Your online minister is Bill Geary and Nathan Clark. Uh, make sure you give them a shout out. If you have any questions, prayer requests, they would love to interact with you. All right, a couple things going on. First of all, an update on Bahamas. This is pretty amazing. This congregation, no surprise, has gone above and beyond. Uh, just got a report last night that uh, over $70,000 has been given, which is amazing. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, already half of that has been sent. Uh, and we are, we are waiting now for uh, this weekend um, to go by. If you still want to give, you can do that online through texting. Just go to the Northland website. You can see how you can engage there. Again, other things to come. We might be doing some trips, some rebuilding projects. Keep an eye out on that. But just an amazing picture of God's faithfulness through his people here. So thank you for that. Also, the bookstore periodically has um, these little pop-up shops, these kiosks that you can, uh, as you exit uh, this morning, you can stop by there. Uh, if you have questions about resources, maybe you're in a small group and you're looking to do a new Bible study, um, or maybe you just have a question about a topic, they would love to connect you with uh, resources. So ask them anything you want, and they'll, they'll make sure you get what you need. Um, and then next weekend, we're commissioning Marsh and his family. Um, it's awesome to have them here. Yes, please. We are so excited. Um, the whole family's here. They've been unpacking. We were just talking before we came out here. Everything's in the house. Water's turned on. Electricity's turned on. Everything's in boxes, but they're, they're here, and we're excited. We're going to be uh, commissioning the whole family here. We'll have some celebration in the foyer, uh, some things next weekend. So tell everybody to come back, and uh, let's celebrate them being here. We'll have a special prayer time for them next week. 
Also, uh, Prashanda Visser, uh, a partner of ours who is within an organization that he started called Global Unites. He is in town. He was speaking at a missions conference. Uh, we said, can you stick around for a couple extra days, give an update on what's been happening since you were last here preaching. So before Pastor Matt preaches this morning, uh, Prashant and I will uh, come back up here and talk a little bit about some of the things that are happening with this great movement, uh, a youth-led movement around conflict and reconciliation, an incredible way that uh, we're learning a lot from them, and we want to engage uh, this congregation, so we'll tell you more about that in just a little bit. But right now, would love it if you would stand, stretch your arms a little bit, loosen up, say hello to anyone right around you. Greet those nearby.
God, you are great. You are the name above all the other names. You are worthy of every single praise. You are majestic. You are clothed in splendor. You are the giver of every breath. And you humbled yourself. You've shown us time and again that the economy of heaven is unlike anything we have ever known. You've asked us to humble ourselves, not exalt ourselves. You said the first will be last and the last will be first. You said whoever would be great among you must first become the servant of everyone else. And you said that no greater love has any man than to lay down his life for a friend. And church, isn't it just like God to put his money where his mouth is? As you left your throne, you put on rags and flesh. You served everyone. You died for your friends and you died for those who despised you. Your economy says, empty yourself for my sake and don't 
save anything.
worthy God. Let's go to God this morning, church. You paid it all. You left your home, you left your throne. And you opened heaven's coffers to pay our ransom, every last debt of sin, every last stain washed clean through the crimson flow. God, and we thank you that you did that on our behalf. God, I thank you for saving me. I thank you on behalf of my brothers and sisters here at Northland for saving them. Because God, you said that whoever believes in you won't die, but they'll live forever with you. And we know that we in this room are part of the whosoever will, but we know that we're not all of the whosoever will because you said you so loved the world. The whosoever will goes beyond these walls. I'm so grateful this morning, God, that you allow us to partner with some amazing ministries around the world. And in a moment, you're going to encourage our hearts with what you are doing outside these walls and beyond our boundaries. So God, right now, would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us to be the hands and the feet that take the message of your life, of your death, and your life again to the world, to every tribe, every tongue, every nation? to the whosoever wills that we don't know in Russia, to the whosoever wills that we don't know in Sri Lanka, to our whosoever will brethren in the Bahamas right now, God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the King of heaven. And everyone said, amen. Amen, amen church. Amen. We're going to continue in worship. Why don't you go ahead and take a seat. Some of you might have uh, come in just a little late and missed uh, what I mentioned earlier. We have Prashant Devister, who's uh, here from Sri Lanka. Uh, he leads an organization called Global Unites. Uh, maybe you caught a couple months ago when Prashant preached here, and uh, we had an amazing weekend getting to know him. Of course, we know the Devister family from years and years and years of partnership with your dad's church, uh, Kitu Sevna. Uh, in Sri Lanka, and so it's awesome to have you back. Um, we've got some pictures we want to show and just catch up a little bit with you on what's been happening. Um, besides preaching, we talked some people into running in the Florida heat um, with this 5K that we did to raise some awareness and some dollars uh, for the Global Unites movement, which uh, was just, it's awesome, man, to have you here. Thanks for letting us come alongside and learn and be partner with you. Tell us what's been going on. Good morning. Uh, it's a joy to be back. Uh, greetings from Sri Lanka. I bring you love from your family in the other part of the world, 15,000 miles away. Uh, it's been an amazing journey since I spoke here a few months back. Uh, I talked about the Global Unite Summit, where once in four years we bring our key leaders from the 15 countries we are engaging in 
to come together to create a strategy for the next four years. How can we build movements for peace and healing in our countries, but also build up a new generation of leaders to transform our countries. So thank you for all those who have been praying for us, for those of you who ran to raise money for the summit, but also uh, for others who donated directly. We really want to thank you and appreciate what you've done. And also thank you for releasing Pastor Sean and James Lee uh, to come and be with us at the summit. Uh, Sean was helping some of our leaders with uh, strategic planning and leadership development. And James and the uh, Rock Self-Defense School was helping our young women in these countries who go through a lot of uh, harassment and abuse, um, learning how to defend themselves, self-defense, so they don't have to be harassed and abused by um, people anymore. So that's a huge investment. So thank you for what you have done, and thank you for being part of this journey. It's been amazing. So a couple pictures I want to just uh, show. When we went and visited, uh, we were at this summit, uh, over 100 delegates um, how many countries? I keep getting the number mixed up. 18 countries and, and 13 delegations. Formally. So 13 movements, some that are, are formed and way down the road, some that are in the early stages. Um, while we were there, Prashan, you, you told a couple stories that were pretty inspiring of young people that are taking great risk, um, making great sacrifice. Uh, to see their generation make a difference in a place where there's deep conflict. In many of these places, there's war. There's a lot of things, um, ethnic, uh, tribal division, uh, hatred that goes into physical violence even. Tell a couple stories of, of some of what you've seen happen through some of the movements with these students. So many times we watch in the news, uh, growing up, I used to feel so heartbroken listening to stories about what's happening in Afghanistan, what was happening in Congo and Uganda and these countries, and you're like, you're pr praying for these countries, Lord, there has to be some hope, there has to be healing for these countries. But what he realized is that God has anointed us to be his light, to be a solution. He has given us the capacity to take small steps and he will make things happen. So the way we know that things are changing is lives being transformed. So in Sri Lanka, I have this young man who now works for Sri Lanka Unites. He used to be part of the terrorist organization in our country. He, in fact, signed up to be a suicide bomber and blow himself up and make the ultimate sacrifice just for his hate. Today, he's leading a peace movement. He's building bridges across country. And he says, he tells me, I lost 16 years of my life with hate. I planned and prepared to kill others. And now I'm living every day to bring about healing and peace. And I'm going to change this country someday. We, those are the lives that we are there to change. A young girl in Afghanistan, she said, Prashan, I've been abused all my life. I can't walk on the streets without being fully covered and still without being escorted by another man because I'm not allowed to walk around. People would beat me up. I always was abused, but I finally thought, I need to start becoming the change. I can start transforming. I need to inspire other young women to stand up, other young men to stand with us, and to start seeing healing and reconciliation across tribal lines and reconciliation across gender lines in our country. And she's leading the way today. She says, I'm no longer afraid. I'm not going to let this be the reality my children will grow up in. Another young man from Congo. Congo, unfortunately, has lost 6 million people in violence in the last 20 years one of the most brutal countries right now in the world. What a beautiful country, but devastated by violence. One in four women in the eastern part of Congo have been uh, victims of rape. 
And one young man said, Prashant, I was also a perpetrator. I grew up as a perpetrator, but after I came, I saw the things that I was doing wrong. And I have decided to make sure I commit my life to protect the dignity of women, to ensure that they are given their freedoms and their rights and they can rise up to leadership. And he's working tirelessly to make these things happen. So many times we can see the brokenness of our world and be overwhelmed and wonder, Lord, is there hope? And God says there is. He has anointed us to be the light of the world. We are not to be the light of the church, but we are called to be the light of the world. And so we may be ordinary people, but we are anointed with an extraordinary God whose love and compassion for the world is still the same. And he will use us to be a blessing. So we are so honored to humbly serve and to see him do extraordinary things. It's powerful. I'm looking at this picture, and I, they're familiar faces to me now. You know, I'm recognizing people that um, in one situation talking to some, some folks just before we left and flew back, asking them from the part of the world that they were from, what's the next few months look like for you when you get back? These are university-age students. Uh, and they were describing several international events that were taking place, elections and Independence Day and some things that were coming up. Uh, and she was saying, it's guaranteed 100% there will be bombings in my city on every one of those days. That she knows that's the reality she's going back to. And yet to think of um, the incredible sacrifice, um, these are bright really bright people making top grades, top honors in their schools, uh, making a decision even to pursue a career that would be different in order to see deep change in their culture. I want to look at this next slide. Um, Prashan, you guys have created some ridiculous goals. Um, by 2023, th these aren't even all of them. I just grabbed a few. Um, besides the movements that are already existing and already underway, by 2023, hoping to see working towards 15 new movements around the world, 5 million youth engaged um, all over the place, 15 mi million youth reached out to on social media, uh, 500,000 personal testimonies. Just to have what you described happen 500,000 times in these places. It's, in, it's unbelievable to think of the change there. And then for the Global Unites movement to be the largest, widest, spread, vibrant, and most influential youth movement in at least 10 of these nations. That's crazy, man. But you guys have been doing that. Even in Sri Lanka alone, remind us where you guys are. That's the oldest of, of, the, of the movements. It's been going on since 2009. What's been happening there? Yeah, these are ambitious goals, but the times call for such aggressive efforts to see change. Uh, in Sri Lanka, when we started, you know, we didn't think all the terrorist organizations and criminal organizations, they had more young people. But today, after 12 years of engaging, we are larger than, and we are the largest youth movement in the country, and we are larger than any terrorist organization, any gang, or any criminal activity, and we're able to recruit more young people more aggressively. We have to work harder because extremists on full time to destroy our young peoples. Moderate society, while we are not paying all our attention, terrorists and extremists pay their entire attention to young people. So we need to be more aggressive in our efforts. And so we're so glad that we are able to have that impact. And that's why we're trying to expand across these countries. It's not easy. It's going to be overwhelmingly difficult. But we believe by the grace of God and by the hard work of our people that we can make that impact. These children deserve better, and we're going to do everything we can. 
Well, we don't have any, any problems in our country, so I'm glad you came here to see what a perfect country looks like. Um, it's actually the opposite. USA Unites is, is one of the newest um, of, of the movements that's, that's percolating. Um, you have relationships in over a dozen different states here um, in the US. We want to be a part of, of launching USA Unites. Um, this next slide, we're inviting everybody to come this evening, 6 to 8 p.m. It's going to be in the hub. Um, you know, my daughter's 16. The topics of, of polarization, um, racism, um, violence, segregation that's ripping our country apart, the lack of dignity and value and respect that we've lost, not just, I mean, it would be bad enough, maybe worse, I don't know, if it was between Christians and non-Christians, I, I don't know where, where the line is, but now it's even within the church, Christians tearing each other apart. Um, we have so much to learn. Tell us a little bit about what we'll talk about this evening. This is going to be an open forum. We're going to, you and I are going to co-host a discussion and just sort of start tackling some of the big topics that we are facing in our country. What can we expect this evening? So we have been extremely blessed by our country over the years. You all have supported so many initiatives around the world as a nation and even as a church. But we feel as we look at your country, you're going through an unprecedented season of polarization and division. We have never seen a loss of civility and hate uh, along racial lines, along political lines, along socioeconomic lines. And I believe that the church needs to play a prophetic role in bringing about healing and transformation in the country. God has anointed you to be part of the healing. No one else has solutions. Everybody knows why they're angry with the other. There's absolute stagnation and division. In the midst of that, I believe a younger generation from the Church of Jesus Christ can stand up and teach the nation how to come back together, how to create civility and healing and reconciliation. It is possible. And we as the Global South and the International Church would like to stand with you and support you as you venture into this. And we're hoping that we will see great transformation. We're even talking about the topic today, healing and reconciliation in an election year. It seems impossible, but that's the aggressive offensive that we have to take. How can we make that change? And we have to realize we start with the younger generation. Teach them to how are we going to heal these wounds? How are we going to make sure that there's justice and healing again in our country? So this evening, everybody's welcome to come, even though this is a youth movement, and we especially want to get the word out to, um, if you're a high school student, you know, kind of upperclassman high school or university age, come out, 6 o'clock, right here in the foyer, in the hub. Um, we're going to have a great discussion. But this requires every generation. That's what I saw even on that trip was um, we, need, we need people of all ages in this movement. So if you're interested in this kind of topic, if it... Uh, piques your interest. Come on out. Be a part of the discussion. We'd love to have you. Um, the church has to get involved. Uh, we have to. This is the time, especially to engage the next generation. Uh, and so thanks for your partnership, your friendship. In fact, I'm going to ask Prashan if, if you would pray. We'd, last night I was praying for Global Unites um, for you. Would you pray uh, for Northland? Would you pray for our country? Uh, and and the, the difficulty we have in these coming months. In fact, I'm going to ask congregation if you would stand. We'll just walk over here, Prashan, and if you would pray for us. Before I pray, I just want to thank this church uh, for praying for us a few months ago when the Easter bombings took place. It was a very difficult time. 
where we had to deal with international terrorism in our country, and we were in a lot of pain, and we were comforted by the fact that our brothers and sisters in this part of the world were praying for us and standing with us. Thank you for your prayers. And it's amazing how the church has responded. The church responded to hate and violence with love and care. We have protected the Muslim community who were going to be attacked because of the acts of a few terrorists. And we want to thank you that for standing with us, that we were able to be gracious and loving even in the midst of that pain. So thank you for doing that as well. And it's my privilege now to pray for you and pray that God will bless you and use you. I want to say that we love you, but God loves you even more. And he loves you so much that there's an overflowing of his love from you to your neighbor, to the rest of the state and to the entire nation. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you have done in our lives. Lord, I thank you for this community. Thank you for Northland Church, for their desire to be a blessing, for their desire to be an answer to the grievances and the hurts in society. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint each and every one here, Lord, during these difficult times in this country, that they will be your solution, they will be your light. Lord, that they would not fuel hate and anger, but they will cause healing and reconciliation. That their words will bring communities together. Their words will help people see the love of Christ. And Lord, that in the midst of so much difficulty people are facing, that they will respond in love. Lord, I pray that each and every one of them will see that you have called them for such a time as this. That they don't have to ask you, Lord, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much polarization in the country right now? But they would come to you and say, Lord, how can I serve? And Lord, when you reveal to them that they will respond in obedience, that they would not wait for somebody else, that they would say, here I am, Lord, I will go. I will invest in the next generation. I will love my neighbor. I will serve. And Lord, because of that choice at this time, that this nation would experience greater blessings than they've ever experienced before. Because this generation, this community said, Lord, I will go. So, Lord, give them the confidence in you and to work for your glory. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Prashan. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. So good to see you guys here and online. What a treat to have Prashan with us and to be partnering with him. Would you thank him one more time? He can still hear that. Wow. So this evening, six o'clock in the hub, it will be a powerful time. I want to encourage you to make time to come and engage in that dialogue. It was April the 26th, 2003. There was a 27-year-old young man named Aaron Ralston. He was a mountaineer, a climber, and a canyoneer, which is someone that would navigate canyons with rock climbing and rappelling. He loved doing that. It was Canyonlands National Park down in the southeastern corner of Utah. 
And he ventured into an area called Blue John Canyon. So it's all of these very deep canyons, lots of slot canyons, they'll call them, which are very, very narrow. You can get your hands on either side of the wall. And he was just going out for one day. And he was navigating through a really narrow part of a slot canyon, doing some bouldering. He had some repelling equipment with him, but primarily bouldering and climbing. And if you're a rock climber or you've seen people rock climb, there are a number of different handholds that, that work better than others and footholds and so forth. And one classic move is to put your hand in between maybe a crack in the wall or between two rocks and you stick it in and then you make a fist to get it into where it lodges. And when you make that fist, you can't pull it out and it can, it can bear the full weight of, of your body. It's, uh, it's one of those bomb-proof holds that uh, beginner rock climbers love to learn early on. So Aaron was navigating this. He stuck his hand in between and then there was a slip and the unthinkable happened. Later, they estimated that the boulder was about 800 pounds. This one boulder that he was sticking his hand in between the boulder and the rock face, it moved. Probably hadn't moved in hundreds of years, not thousands, but it moved. Crushed his hand, trapped his arm. And so there he was, more or less suspended. He tried to pull it out. He tried to rig up some of his ropes and repelling equipment to establish a pulley to work on the boulder, just to move it just a little bit, nothing happening. He had a multi-tool, he got that out and he tried to, to wedge it in between, desperately was trying to figure out how he could get out. Well, no avail, sunset, he spent the night. The next day, he tried more. He hadn't told anybody where he was going, which is not a wise thing to do whenever anybody's climbing. They knew generally the, the area that he was, but there was just a narrow slit of sky, and he had been yelling and screaming, but he hadn't seen anyone all day. Absolutely midst of the wilderness. Goes on the rest of the day, the second day, the third day. He's sipping water, had just maybe about 12 fluid ounces, I think, of water total, and he's sipping it a little. He had a couple of breakfast burritos he had picked up at a convenience store that morning. He's nibbling on those, trying to extend his life as long as he can, hoping that someone will wander by. No one was coming. Fourth day, he's beginning to hallucinate, and he's realizing, I think I'm going to die here. He actually carves his birth date and his, what he's perceiving to be the date of his death. And in the midst of that fourth night, he had a dream. The dream was about him holding a child that he deemed to be his child and holding that child with one arm. And the next morning, he woke up and he did the, what many would say is the unthinkable. So much so that a movie came out in 2010 starring James Franco called 127 Hours. With his dull pocket knife, he performed an amputation. Tied a tourniquet around right below the elbow, and he did what you and I can never imagine. And he made a choice that was beyond 
what any of us would ever think of doing unless we were in that situation. He freed himself. Amazingly, he didn't lose so much blood because of the tourniquet, so he survived. He rappelled down about 63 feet to the canyon floor, hiked out a few, a few hours. A couple from the Netherlands who was vacationing there and doing some outdoor stuff, they ran across him. They contacted the authorities. They were already looking for him in that general area, and he survived. One of the sheriffs later said, I realized that people say it was a difficult choice for him to make, but he chose to live. It's a powerful statement that he chose what he needed to do to live. Our vision here is engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus, and to be fully alive is a choice. The initial choice is when I trust Christ as King, as Savior, as author of my life, I submit before what he did for me on the cross, and then on a daily basis, I'm choosing to follow him in obedience with his kingdom agenda. I'm choosing to experience fully alive. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Not self-improvement, self-actualization, but being restored to who I've created you to be as a human being. Underneath my Father's hand, I've come to restore and reclaim. And so on a daily basis, I've got choices. Maybe not physical life or death choices. Fully alive is beyond heart beating, lung breathing. It's the life of the Gospels. It's the life of Jesus. And on a daily basis, learning to make those choices. Now, we're in the midst of this series called Calibrate. We're calling it Calibrate because that's what they used to do long ago. And we still do it in various ways. But long ago, a ship would calibrate its compass by going to a still harbor, getting really quiet, and reordering about what's true north. And at the beginning of this busy year for us as a ministry, as a church, and even in our individual lives, it's time to calibrate. Now, learning the habit of calibrating on a daily basis, it might be five minutes a day or 50 minutes a day or five hours a day, depending on the day, but calibrating what true north is. Where do we calibrate? We calibrate by sitting at the feet of Jesus. And if you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. We've been letting this passage guide us through. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look at the screens. And also, if you don't own a Bible, by the way, pick one up at the welcome desk, our gift to you. You can start reading the Gospel of John. And we'll be back in that series here in a few weeks. Luke 10, 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village. This village was called Bethany, by the way. It was just a little east of Jerusalem, where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was what? Distracted. Man, we all get distracted by all sorts of stuff. Sinful stuff, trivial stuff, maybe laudable stuff, but not prioritized appropriately. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And she was surprised by Jesus' response. Instead of Jesus telling Mary to help her, he, he rebuked Martha gently but firmly. He rebuked her in a life-giving way that's filtered 2,000 years ahead to where you and I are in our own journeys. Here's what he said. He said, Martha, Martha, uh, you're worried and upset. Man, those are words that I've dealt with even this week. Distracted, worried, upset. You guys know what that's like? I mean, maybe not you, but you've got friends who experience that, right? He said, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. 
or indeed only one. And Mary has what? Chosen. Mary's made a choice. She's chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. So let's review a little bit this calibrating. What's it look like to calibrate? There are a number of disciplines. There's a discipline of stillness where I stop the busyness and I become still. And then I sit at his feet. I'm submitting before him. That sitting at his feet was not just a statement of the furniture in their house, but a posture that Mary had. From that submission comes a sense of stewardship, of surrender. The results really in me stewarding my time, my ability, my finances. And then the next week we looked at silence. And it's a silence not patterned after Eastern meditation that's meant to empty myself, but it's a silence in which I'm wanting to see my life and my mind and my heart filled with the word of Jesus, which got us to last week of Scripture and the discipline of Scripture. And oh my word, what a treat it was to have Pastor Vernon here to walk us through orienting our lives around the story of God and seeing our story in his story and seeing scripture and lifting it up and we're going to keep going along those lines and today what we're doing is looking at the discipline of sacrificial choice. Calibrating involves me making sacrificial choices regularly. Go back to the text, look at verse 42 one more time. But few things are needed or indeed only one And Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. She's made a choice. It's a sacrificial one. Albert Camus, the 20th century philosopher, said, our lives are the sum of all of our choices. We make choices on a daily basis. Football season just started. You guys aware of that? Tennessee fans are regretting that it has started. Florida fans are really excited. And I wish you all well, but really the important thing is that Auburn football has started, but that's a different story. But no, then you got your pro teams. But in all these football games, this is a time when I watch commercials uh, like I don't watch any other time of the year because you're watching live games and you got to watch the commercials. And every year during football games, you'll see some commercials come up that basically are carrying this theme. It's five words. Sometimes the actual words are said. Other times it's implied. You can have it all. Oh, yeah, if you do that, you can have it all. I want you to hear this. That's a lie. It's impossible. Got two chairs here. Here's my spiritual gift to clarifying the obvious. Here we go. You can only sit in one chair at a time. I can't have it all. I've either got to choose this chair or this chair. And when I choose one, I'm saying something about the other. And here's what I want you to just spend some time ruminating on even this week. For every yes, there's a no. When I say yes to this chair, I'm saying no to that chair. What Jesus was doing, he said, Martha, you've said yes to the wrong thing. And as a result, you're saying no to the right thing. For every yes, there's a no. For every time I say yes, Jesus, 
I'm saying no to something else, or sometimes I'm deciding, I'm making the choice to say yes to something that requires me saying no to Jesus. Mary said yes to the right thing, and that's what Jesus is affirming her for. So let's unpack a little bit. The best commentary on Scripture is other Scripture. So if you've got your Bible, you've been in Luke 10, turn to Isaiah chapter 44 down in the, in the, middle, of your, in, in the middle of your Bibles. And it's a passage about idolatry, about deciding to worship an idol. And people say, well, idolatry, that doesn't apply to us today. Sure it does. We'll probably look at this passage later in a series on worship sometime. Idolatry, the only thing that's different about our idolatry today than 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, is the type of idols we go after. Our idols might be a car, it might be a job position, it might be a bank account balance, it might be a particular address or hobby or addiction or sin, the list goes on and on. But when we go after an idol, when we say yes, to something that we shouldn't be saying yes to, and therefore saying no to Jesus, it's idolatry. But it involves a decision. So I want to read through this passage. Just let it ricochet around within your heart, and we're going to go back through it a little bit more carefully, but let me read it overall. Isaiah 44. He's talking about some wood, and he says it's used for fuel, for fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. So he's taken half of the wood and t- burned it in the fire, and over it he prepares his meal, and he roasts his meat, and he eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I'm warm. I see the fire. But from the rest, he makes a god his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me, you're my God. So on a daily basis, you know, John Calvin referred to us in his classic, the Institutes, we're idol factories. We're always making idols. An idol is something that I I look at and say, save me. Could be another, I'm I'm looking to something or someone other than Jesus and saying, save me. And in that moment, that's my idol. He keeps going. They know nothing. They understand nothing. So this is the reason for the decision they just made. He says, their eyes are plastered over so they can't see, and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say. Half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes, a deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? In other words, he, he can't say, hey, am I really getting from this what I ultimately need? With Martha, which, well, we don't know all that was going on. Busyness, I mean, what she was doing is a pretty good thing. But evidently, her busyness was distracting her from what she really needed. Was she relying on her busyness, on what she was doing for her self-esteem and significance and saying, hey, I'm doing all this because that means that I matter to Jesus? Don't know, but she wasn't reflecting in that way. We all do that. We all have those moments really on a daily basis. The the key to maturity in my journey is making those fewer and fewer of those idolatrous decisions. And when I do, repenting more quickly. Bottom line, that's maturity. But thankfully, that maturing process happens on 
on the foundation of grace. Hear how this passage ends, and I'm so grateful for it. In the midst of this idolatry, God says, remember, verse 21, remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I've made you. You're my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. I've swept away your offenses like a cloud. Your sins like the morning mist. I know you've made these bad decisions, but I want you to know I forgive them, and I forgive you. Return to me, for I redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests, and all you trees, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. In the midst of us navigating through this journey of learning to choose that which is better, how grateful I am that his grace is the foundation. And there's hope. Absolutely. There's, it's a matter of, okay, yes, I blew it, but His grace abounds, and so now let that fuel my repentance. But now let's go back and unpack it, because you and I do this all the time. We're, we're making these choices. They're life or death choices, spiritual life, spiritual death choices. And I want to go back through this passage, and now this is a bad decision, but it can also apply to good decisions when we see how these choices are made. There are really three ingredients to choosing what's better. Here's the first one. For the, the visible thing, the ultimate end is a decision. It's a decision of the will. That's where all this leads. What Mary and Martha both did is they made a decision of the will. It ended up with Martha doing that which was not better and Mary doing that which was better. For every yes to what is better is a no to what's not better. For every no to what is not better, or for every yes to what is not better is a no to what is better. But it's a decision. People say, decision of my will. Wait a minute, don't I make a decision with my mind? Uh, yes, but ultimately the decision that I make manifests itself in my actions. Read about a junior executive at a, at a financial corporation and he had an opportunity to have just a few minutes with the CEO, a guy who had been there 30, 40 years. And he said, sir, do you mind if I ask you just a question. He said, of course not. And he said, well, what, what are some of the secrets of your success in your career? What have you learned? What has enabled you to do what you're doing and to, to, to rise to where you are in this corporation? The guy didn't hesitate. He looked at him and said, I'll tell you, that's easy. Good decisions. That's the secret. He said, Wow, okay, do you mind if I ask you another question? He said, no. He said, how did you learn to make good decisions? He didn't hesitate again. He said, bad decisions. <laughs> we have the good decisions. We have the bad decisions. They're there. You can see a decision that was made here. It was a bad decision. Verse 17, from the rest he makes a God. His idol, he bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me, you're my God. Bad decision. How many decisions do you think you, have, you make in a day? Take a guess. Read some, some research from a woman that was uh, doing some averaging out, and she's on average, an adult makes about 70 decisions a day. Somebody heard me say that last night, and they said, unless you're a parent of a toddler. 
Then you're making all of these decisions over and over. But about 70 a day, if that's true, then about 25,000 per year is what the result would be uh, for 365 days in a year. And then for a lifetime of 70 years, about 1.78 million decisions. Those decisions, the sum total of them are my life and my journey. And every day I have a similar decision to what Martha and Mary had, a decision to be distracted Our decision to sit at his feet, to follow Jesus and say yes to that or to say no. Joshua, leader of the children of Israel, at the end of his journey, this great leader assembled the people in a place called Shechem. It's it's the geographical center of Canaan. There's a giant amphitheater there, just a natural amphitheater. And 30 years before, the same people had gathered to renew their covenant with God. Now here he is giving them his farewell, basically, near the end of his life. He says, verse 14, Joshua 24, now fear the Lord. Now, for, for the people of God, that's reverence and bowing and submitting. Fear the Lord and serve him with all, your faith, with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. Whether your idol is busyness or an addiction, whether it's a job or slander or pornography or covetousness, whether it's something that you've inherited from your community, from your family, whatever, he says, you've got a choice to make. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and say yes to the Lord. He keeps going. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, but as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. We will say yes to him and no to our idolatry. It's a daily decision. Yes, the first time I make that decision is when I become a follower of Jesus. But then on a daily basis, not to keep my salvation, that is intact and and, and eternal. But for me to unpack it, for me to experience it, for me to glorify him involves that decision. So this choosing what is better that Jesus talks to Mary about, the, the, the top and the, above the water, so to speak, is this decision of the will. But then that decision of the will, that's not where it started. There's something right underneath that that leads to the decision. It's discernment. It's dis- discernment of, of, of my mind. It's discernment that leads me to be able to make the right decision, to take the time. And most of us are, are, are going through and we just are kind of impulsively, we just go with some of our default. And so often it's, it's the wrong decision. This week has been a very difficult week for Rob and Audra Hempel. Pastor Rob's our pastor of student ministries. And um, his dad, John Hempel, went home to be with Jesus. We're very... So grateful for the resurrection, but aching with the family. Well, Friday, a number of our staff um, celebrated the life of John Hempel with the Hempel family. 
in a memorial service for him. And Rob did an amazing job. I, I've, I've been there, both did the, the funerals for my mom as well as my dad, and it's a difficult thing. And he just, it was powerful. We laughed and we cried. One of the things we laughed about is Rob telling us that his dad, about his dad being an amazing woodworker, which he was, and there were some things up front, a rocking horse and other things. He was always making furniture and things and just beautifully, and he said, yeah, my dad was, I mean, he was so careful, and he would look, he would discern what, what's the best type of wood that I need to go with here. And then he said, uh, my dad would then get it and be very careful and take that idiom and saying, I'm going to measure twice and cut once. And Rob said, that was always so hard for me because my tendency is to cut, 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 and then hope it fits. <laughs> That's what most of us do. We just cut, 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 and then hope it fits. We just kind of, let, let, let's not measure, let's just go ahead and, and cut. And the problem with, in this text with these people is they, they weren't discerning, they weren't measuring, they weren't evaluating. Go back and, and look at it in verse, verse 18. They know nothing, they understand nothing, their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their mind closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think, to measure. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I use for fuel, I even bake bread over it's cold, I mastered a roasted meat and I ate, shall I make a detestable thing from what's left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? He said they're not stopping to discern before they make the decision. To discern is to distinguish, is to, to distinguish between, okay, what are the consequences of this decision or that? Measure, 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 then act. Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 1, verse 2 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. He said, test it, prove it, think it through before you act. Evaluate it. Get your mind renewed. Discern. Great example of that. It's a passage uh, we've looked at before in Psalm 63, he says, oh my God, earnestly, oh God, you're my God, earnestly, I seek you. Look at what he does. He says, earnestly, I make the decision, I choose you. My whole being, and here's the discerning that, that went in before he's chose to seek him. He says, because my whole being longs for you, and, I, and I, it's because I live in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Saying, okay, am I going to choose God or am I going to choose something else? I'm gonna, you know what? What am I longing for ultimately? And do I live in a place where there is water that will address this? No, he alone. And so I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips glorify you. That's somebody that's made the decision to seek him, and they're doing it out of a discernment and understanding that. Parents, here's the deal. You got kids at home or grandparents, you got kids that come by, what is the response, or what's the question that we get probably more than anything from our kids? It's uh, three letters, why? 
You need to do this. Why? You need to do Why? And what is the default response that parents, especially if you're hungry and it's late at night and you got a little hangry going on or whatever, what's the response we give the kids? Because I said so. That is not helpful. And we're not teaching our kids. I've done it too. Because I said so. Take the time and let's teach our kids to discern. This is why. This is why. Uh, Madeline Langle, phenomenal writer, wrote a book called Hope for the Flowers, and she says, how do you become a butterfly? She says, you must want to fly so much that you're willing to give up being a caterpillar and make that decision out of a discernment of wanting to fly and what do I most need. Now, the decision is what we see. What leads to that decision is the discernment. So, in this passage, poor decision is the result of poor discernment, but the opposite is also true. Good decisions are a result of good discernment, but where does the discernment come from? So, we need to go down to the bedrock here. And the bedrock is my diet. Here's the decision of my will. That comes from a discernment of my, of my mind. The discernment of my mind flows out of the diet that I'm feeding my heart. Yeah, what, what does uh, geigo mean? Anybody know that phrase? You, tech people, especially if you're, you've been around a while in the tech world, I'll spell it, G-I-G-O. What's, what's it stand for? Garbage in, garbage out. Long ago, when they were early computing, they would say, you got to be so careful with the data you put in because that's what's going to come out. And if it's garbage in, it's going to be garbage out. You are what you eat. You've heard that before. It's not just physically. There's a heart aspect to it. What am I feeding my heart? What are you feeding your heart? Verse 20. Here's why this person is making a poor decision out of poor discernment is because such a person feeds on ashes. That's a powerful statement. Such a person feeds on ashes. Their diet is worthless stuff. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Prashan is leading this movement that's going up to the core of a culture and generations, and we have taught the younger generations to feed on ashes. And generation upon generation feeds on ashes. The discernment is going to become worse and worse, and the decisions are going to become worse and worse. Proverbs 4, 23 
above all else, guard your heart. For it's the wellspring of life. Pay attention to what's going on in your heart. What have I been filling my heart with this week? The trivial? The sinful? Either way, it's ash. Jeremiah 15, 16. Here's what you need to eat. Jeremiah, the Word of God had been lost. They found it. He says, when your words came, O Lord God, I ate them. And they were my joy, and they were my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. You and I go through our journeys and our lives, and we have so much noise. And what Mary is doing is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She says, what I need is not ash. I need your words, Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus says, you can't just live on bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Earlier, I, I grabbed my Bible with that ash hand, and that's an image that I don't know that I'll ever forget. Because you and I, without this, all we got is ash. You talk about a contrast between this and the beauty. This is not just a book to sit on my nightstand. It is a book for me to eat. It's not just a book. It's the Word of God. It's living. It's breathing. It's active. And it's not just something to nod with. A lot of people say, hey, yeah, I agree with the Bible, but we don't read it. What, how, how do we digest it? How do we get into Scripture? How do we go for it? Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 47. The words of the law are not just idle words for you. They are your life. And as Aaron Rawson was in that canyon, he said, I've got a choice to make, and it's a choice of whether I will live. That is a choice far deeper. It's the one that I make on a daily basis. Will I choose to live today, and I'm not going to live without feeding my heart, engaging with the Word of God, hearing the Word of God. Take a look, hearing it, reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it, obeying it. I've got this choice. It starts with my diet that leads me to discernment, that enables me to decision. And my decisions are going to be directly related and connected with my diet. I gave you five words earlier that I said were a lie. Remember what they were? What? You can have it all. All right. That's only partially true. It actually, those five words can actually be one of the most liberating things that I could ever say. The degree to which it's either a lie or liberation for me as a human being has everything to do with the identity of that pronoun, you. If I look in the mirror and say to myself, you can have it all, 
That's a lie. I can't have it all. But if I come to the feet of Jesus and I say, Lord God, you can have it all. You've got all of me. That's what Mary was doing. Mary was saying, hey, you can have it all. I'm going to ask our worship team to come out. I want to give you four minutes that can be life-changing and life-giving. And it's when I say those five words, you can have it all. We're going to sing them. Danny's going to sing over us. And it's a new song, so you're going to have to learn it. But you can do that. And not just singing it passively, but engaging with these words at the feet of Jesus. You talk about a powerful moment when a group of his kids get together and say in unison, you can have it all. You got us. We surrender. Let me pray. Jesus, you got an agenda you want to complete here. And every one of us has made some death-giving decisions this week. Some decisions that were not what was better. Decisions that came out of flawed discernment, which came out of a, a diet of the trivial, the sinful. The evil trends of our culture even. So we're here to reorient and say you can have it all. We want to choose what's better. We want to give you all of who we are. Let's stand together and do that.
So what are you choosing? What are you deciding? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of your relationships with your marriage? Is he the Lord of your children? Is he the Lord of your work? Is he the Lord of your finances? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Amen. Those are life-changing words when they're directed to Jesus. They're crippling, they're crippling words when we address that, those five words to ourselves. And I want
want you to know what a delight it is to journey in community with people that are saying, let's choose that which is better. Some of you need to pray with somebody. They'll be down front here or back in the prayer room back there, finding out more about who we are, something going on in your life. Find somebody with an orange lanyard, either in your section or back in that area. Arlene and I'll be wandering through. We'll be starting over here and going that way. Also, Artisan's Kitchen there for you to do some community time, sit and talk with some folks. We've got the pop-up bookshop in the back, the pop-up bookstore, and also next weekend, uh, Marsh and Lori, we're going to commission them. You're going to meet Lori and their, their three precious daughters, and then we'll have some time in the foyer next weekend. But remember, tonight, uh, Prashan will be over in the hub. Right after this service, he'll be out by the Welcome Center if you'd like to meet him then. All right, would you open your palms? May your open palms be a demonstration of open hearts to what Jesus has for you this week as you and I together learn to choose that which is better. Choose life. Go live. Go give that life away in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.